0: The Most Good You Can Do. How effective altruism is changing ideas about living ethically. Peter Singer. Preface. An exciting new movement is emerging effective altruism. Student organizations are forming around it. There are lively discussions on social media pages and websites as well, in the pages of the New York Times and the Washington Post. Effective altruism is based on a very simple idea. We should do the most good we can. Obeying the usual rules about not stealing, cheating, hurting, and killing is not enough. Or at least not enough for those of us who have the great good fortune to live in material comfort, who can feed, house, and clothe ourselves and our families, and still have money or time to spare. Living a minimally acceptable ethical life involves using a substantial part of our spare resources to make the world a better place. Living a fully ethical life involves doing the most good we can. Although the people most active in the effective altruism movement tend to be millennials, that is, the first generation to have come of age, in the new millennium, older philosophers, of whom I am one, have been discussing effective altruism from before it had a name or was a movement. The branch of philosophy known practical ethics, has played an important role in effective altruism's development. And effective altruism in turn vindicates the importance of philosophy, showing that it changes, sometimes quite dramatically, the lives of those who take courses in it. Most effective altruists are not saints, but ordinary people like you and me. So very few effective altruists claim to live a fully ethical life, most of them are somewhere on the continuum between a minimally acceptable ethical life and a fully ethical life. That doesn't mean they are constantly feeling guilty about not being morally perfect. Effective altruists don't see a lot of point in feeling guilty. They prefer to focus on the good they are doing. Some of them are content to know they are doing something significant to make the world a better place. Many of them like to challenge themselves to do a little better this year than last year. Effective altruism is notable from several perspectives, each of which I will explore in the following pages. First and most important is making a difference to the world. Philanthropy is a very large industry. In the United States alone, there are almost 1 million charities receiving a total of approximately 200 billion a year, with an additional $100 billion donated to religious congregations. A small number of the charities are outright frauds but a much bigger problem is that very few of them are sufficiently transparent to allow donors to judge whether they are really doing good. Most of that $300 billion is given on the basis of emotional responses to images of the people, animals, or forests uh, that the charity is helping. Effective uh, uh, Effective altruism seeks to change that by providing incentives for charities to demonstrate their effectiveness. Already the movement is directing millions of dollars to charities that are effectively reducing the suffering and death caused by extreme poverty. Second, effective altruism is a way of giving meaning to our own lives and finding fulfillment in what we do. Many effective altruists say that in doing good, they feel good. Effective altruists directly benefit others, but indirectly they often benefit themselves. Third, effective altruism sheds new light on an old philosophical and psychological question. Are we fundamentally driven by our innate needs and emotional responses with our rational capacities, doing little more than laying a justificatory veneer over actions that were already determined before we even started reasoning about what we do? Or can reason play a crucial role in determining how we live? What is it that drives some of us to look beyond our own interests and the interests of those we love to the interests of strangers, future generations, and animals? Finally, the emergence of effective altruism and the evident enthusiasm and intelligence with which many millennials at the outset of their careers are embracing it offer grounds for optimism about our future. There has long been skepticism about whether people can really be motivated by an altruistic concern for others. Some have thought that our moral capacities are limited to helping our kin. Those with whom we are or could be in mutual beneficiary relationships and members of our own tribal group or small-scale society. Effective altruism provides evidence that this is not the case. It shows that we can expand our moral horizons, reach decisions based on a broad form of altruism, and employ our reason to assess evidence about the likely consequences of our actions. In this way, it allows us to hope that the coming generation and those that follow it we'll be able to meet the ethical responsibilities of a new era in which our problems will be global as well as local. All right, continuing. The Most Good You Can Do by Peter Singer. Um, This is a newer book. This one's 2015. But there is another book by Peter Singer called The Life You Can Save that was excellent Written at least 10 years, uh, I think 15 or so before this one. And it was, um, that one is free online. There's a full recording on YouTube. The Kindle version or audio, um, yeah, is uh, either free or $1. And there's a whole website devoted toward effective altruism. Called the life you can Um It shows you has all kinds of cool info on it. Um, a bunch of different charities and even gives what those charities can do with how much money you can show. Like we're thinking, hmm, what if I donate, you know, ten dollars a month? You can type in ten and pick a charity, and it can say what kind of cool things you can do that can that can go toward, like you know, that can give antibiotics to uh, to. 20 people to prevent blindness per month or something like that. It's, it's pretty awesome. I suggest you at least check out the website. And also that book if you find this interesting. All right, that said, this is Chapter... Uh, part 1, Effective Altruism. Chapter 1, What is Effective Altruism? I met Matt Wage in 2009 when he took my practical ethics class at Princeton University. In the readings relating to global poverty and what we ought to be doing about it, he found an estimate of how much it costs to save the life of one of the millions of children who die each year from diseases that we can prevent or cure. This led Matt to calculate how many lives he could save over his lifetime, assuming that he earned an average income and donated 10% of it to a highly effective organization, For example, one providing families with bed nets to prevent malaria, a major killer of children. He discovered that he could, with that level of donation, save about 100 lives. He thought to himself, suppose you see a burning building, and you run through the flames and kick a door open, and let 100 people out. That would be the greatest moment in your life, and I could do as much as that. Two years later, Matt graduated, his senior thesis, received the philosophy department's prize for the best thesis of the year. He was accepted by the University of Oxford for postgraduate study. Many students who major in philosophy dream of an opportunity like that. I know I did, but by then Matt had done a lot of thinking about and discussing with others what career would do the most good. This led him to a very different choice. He took a job on Wall Street, working for an uh, arbitrage trading firm on a higher income, he would be able to give much more, both as a percentage and in dollars, than 10% of a professor's income. One year after graduating, Matt was donating a six-figure sum, roughly half his annual earnings, to highly effective charities. He was on the way to saving 100 lives, not over his entire career, but within the first year or two of his working life and every year thereafter. Matt is an effective altruist. His choice of career is one of several possible ways of being an effective altruist. Effective altruists do things like the following. Living modesty, modestly, and donating a large part of their income, often much more than the traditional tenth or tithe, to the most effective charities. Researching and discussing with others which charities are the most effective, or drawing on research done by other independent evaluators, Choosing the career in which they can earn most, not in order to be able to live affluently, but so that they can do more good. Talking to others in person or online about giving, so that the idea of effective altruism will spread. Giving part of their body, blood, bone marrow, or even a kidney to a stranger. In the following chapters, we will meet people who have done these things. What unites all these acts under the banner of effective altruism... The definition, now becoming standard, is a philosophy and social movement, which applies evidence and reason to working out the most effective ways to improve the world. That definition says nothing about the motives or about any sacrifice or cost to the effective altruist. Saying that the movement has altruism as a part of its name, these omissions may seem odd. I don't know if I read that right. Given that the movement has altruism as part of its name, these omissions may seem odd. There we go. Altruism is contrasted with egoism, which is concern only for oneself, but we should not think of effective altruism as requiring self-sacrifice, in the sense of something necessarily contrary to one's own interests. If doing the most you can for others means that you are also flourishing, then that is the best possible outcome for everyone. As we shall see in chapter 9, many effective altruists deny that what they are doing is is a sacrifice. Nevertheless, they're altruists because their overriding concern is to do the most good they can. The fact that they find fulfillment and personal happiness in doing that does not detract from their altruism. Psychologists who study giving behavior have noticed what some people give substantial amounts that some people give substantial amounts to one or two charities, while others give small amounts to many charities. Those who donate to one or two charities seek evidence about what the charity is doing and whether it is really having a positive impact. If the evidence indicates that the charity is is really helping others, they make a substantial donation. Those who give small amounts to many charities are not so interested in that uh, what they are doing helps others. Psychologists call them warm glow givers. Knowing that they are giving makes them feel good, regardless of the impact of their donation. In many cases, the donation is so small, $10 or less, that if they stopped to think, they would realize the cost of processing the donation is likely to exceed the benefit it brings to the charity. In 2013, as the Christmas giving season approached, 20,000 people gathered in San Francisco to watch, five-year-old, uh, to watch a five-year-old boy dressed as Bat-Kid ride around the city in a Batmobile with an actor dressed as Batman by his side. The pair rescued a damsel in distress and captured the Riddler for which they received the keys of Gotham City from the mayor. Not an actor, he really was the mayor of San Francisco, for their role in fighting crime. The boy, Miles Scott, had been through three years of chemotherapy for leukemia, and when asked for his greatest wish, he replied, to be Bat Kid. The Make-A-Wish Foundation had made his wish come true. Does that give you a warm glow? It gives me one, even though I know there is another side to this feel-good story. Make a wish would not say how much it costs to fulfill Miles' wish, but it did say that the average cost of making a child's wish come true is $7,500. Effective altruists would, like anyone else, feel emotionally drawn toward making the wishes of sick children come true. But they would also know that $7,500 could, by protecting families from malaria, save the lives of at least three children and maybe many more. Saving a child's life has to be better than fulfilling a child's wish to be Bat-Kid. If Miles' parents had been offered that choice, Bat-Kid for a day or a complete cure for their son's leukemia, they surely would have chosen the cure. What more than one child's life, when more than one child's life can be saved, the choice is even clearer. Why then do so many people give to make a wish when they could do more uh, good by donating to the against malaria foundation which is a highly effective provider of bed nets to families in malaria prone regions the answer lies in part of the emotional pull of knowing that you are helping this child one whose face you can see on television rather than the unknown and unknowable children who would have died from malaria if your donation had not provided the nets under which they sleep it also lies in part in the fact that Make-A-Wish appeals to Americans, and Miles is an American child. Effective altruists will feel the pull of helping an identifiable child from their own nation, region, or ethnic group, but will then ask themselves if that is the best thing to do. They know that saving a life is better than making a wish come true, and that saving three lives is better than saving one. So they don't give to whatever cause tugs most strongly at their heartstrings. They give to the cause that will do the most good, given the abilities, time, and money they have available. Doing the most good is a vague idea that raises many questions. Here are a few of the more obvious ones, and some preliminary answers. What counts as the most good? Effective altruists will not all give the same answer to this question, but they do share some values. They would all agree that a world with less suffering and more happiness in it is, other things being equal, better than one with more suffering and less happiness. Most would say that a world in which people live longer is, other things being equal, better than one in which people live shorter lives. These values explain why helping people in extreme poverty is a popular cause among effective altruists. As we shall see in more detail in Chapter 10, a given sum of money does not uh, does much more to reduce suffering and save lives if we use it to assist people living in extreme poverty, In developing countries than it would do if we gave to most other charitable causes does everyone's suffering count equally effective altruists do not discount suffering because it occurs far away or in another country or afflicts people of a different race or religion they agree that the suffering of animals counts too and generally agree that we should not give less consideration to suffering just because the victim is not a member of our species They may differ, however, on how to weigh the type of suffering animals can experience against the type of suffering humans can experience. Does the most good you can do mean that it is wrong to give priority to one's own children? Surely it can't be wrong to put the interests of members of the family and close friends ahead of the interests of strangers. Effective altruists can accept that one's own children are a special responsibility ahead of the children of strangers. There are various possible grounds for this. Most parents love their children, and it would be unrealistic to require parents to be impartial between their own children and other children. Nor would we want to discourage such bias, because children thrive in close, loving families, and it is not possible to love people without having greater concern for their well-being than one has for others. In any case, while doing the most good is an important part of the life of every effective altruist, effective altruists are real people, not saints and they don't seek to maximize the good in every single thing they do, 24-7. As we shall see, typical effective altruists leave themselves time and resources to relax and do what they want. For most of us, being close to our children and other family members or friends is central to how we want to spend our time. Nonetheless, effective altruists recognize that there are limits to how much they should do for their children, given the greater needs of others. Effective altruists do not think their children need all the latest toys or lavish birthday parties, and they reject the widespread assumption that parents should, on their death, leave virtually everything they own to their children rather than give a substantial part of their wealth to those who can benefit much more from it. What other values like justice, freedom, equality, uh, what about other values like justice, freedom, equality, and knowledge? Most effective altruists think that other values are good because they're essential for the building of communities in which people can live better lives lives free from oppression and have greater self-respect and freedom to do what they want as well as experience less suffering and premature death no doubt some effective altruists hold that these values are so good uh for the are also good for their own sake independently of these consequences but others do not can promoting the arts be part of the most good you can do in a world that had overcome extreme poverty and other major problems that face us now Promoting the arts would be a worthy goal. In the world in which we live, however, for reasons that will be explored in Chapter 11, donating to opera houses and museums isn't likely to be doing the most good you can. How many effective altruists could there be? Can everyone practice effective altruism? It's possible for everyone who has some spare time or money to practice effective altruism. Unfortunately, most people, even as we shall see in Chapter 11, Oh, maybe that's chapter 2, not 11. My eyes are deceiving me. I think this is actually chapter 2 with Roman numerals. Uh, chapter 2. Professional philanthropy advisors, um, oh, even professional philanthropy advisors, don't believe in thinking too much about the choices of causes to support. So it isn't likely everyone will become an effective altruist anytime soon. The more interesting question is whether effective altruists can become numerous enough to influence the giving culture of affluent nations, there are some promising signs that may be starting to happen. What if one's uh, act reduces suffering, but to do so one must lie or harm an innocent person? In general, effective altruists recognize that breaking moral rules against killing or seriously harming an innocent person will almost always have worse consequences than following these rules. Even thoroughgoing utilitarians who judge actions to be right or wrong entirely on the basis of their consequences are wary of speculative reasoning that suggests we should violate basic human rights today for the sake of some distant future good. They know that under Lenin, Stalin, Mao, and Pol Pot, a vision of a utopian future society was used to justify unspeakable atrocities, and even today some terrorists, terrorists, uh justify their crimes by imagining they will bring about a better future no effective altruist wants to repeat those tragedies suppose i set up a factory in a developing country paying wages that are better than local workers and could otherwise uh other uh, paying wages that are better than local workers would otherwise earn and enough to lift them out of extreme poverty does that make me an effective altruist even if i make a profit from the factory What are you going to do with your profits? If you decide to manufacture in the developing country in order to make it possible for people to escape extreme poverty, you will reinvest a substantial part of your profits in ways that help more people escape extreme poverty. Then you are an effective altruist. If, on the other hand, you use your your profits to live as luxuriously as you can, the fact that you have benefited some of the poor is not sufficient to make you an effective altruist. There are all kinds of intermediate positions between these two extremes. Reinvesting some of your profits to help more people earn a decent income, well, retaining enough to live at a much better level than your employees puts you somewhere on the spectrum of effective altruism. You are living at least a minimally decent ethical life, if not a perfect one. What about giving to your college or university? You teach at Princeton University, And this book is based on lectures you gave at Yale University, thanks to the generous gift of a Yale alumnus. Do you deny that giving to such institutions counts as effective altruism? I count myself fortunate enough, uh, fortunate to be teaching at one of the finest educational institutions in the world. This gives me the opportunity to teach very bright, hardworking students like Matt Wage, who are likely to have a disproportionately large influence on the world. For the same reason, I was pleased to accept the invitation to give the Castle Lectures at Yale. But Princeton has an endowment at the time of writing of $21 billion, and Yale's, uh, and Yale's is $23.9 billion. At the moment, there are enough alumni donating to these universities to ensure that they will continue to be outstanding educational institutions. And the money you donate to one of them could probably do more good elsewhere. If effective altruism ever becomes so popular that these educational institutions are no longer able to do important research at a high level, it will be time to consider whether donating to them might once again be an effective form of altruism. That is the end of chapter one.